0: Scaling Up Nation, when was the last time you thought about your insurance coverage? For me, it is not very often, but I know for a fact that you sleep soundly at night knowing that you have it. That means it's important And that means you need to understand what it is that you have. It means you need to understand where your liability is and you need someone that you can trust to have that conversation with. Several years ago, I met Mike Hyam at an AWT convention of McGowan Insurance Group. And at the time I had our insurance through a local broker who is an extremely nice guy and we had had our auto policies with him for years. And when I started my company, I naturally called him and he got us coverage. The thing is he did not understand the water treatment industry. So he was giving us the best coverage he knew to get us without understanding the industry. I had a conversation with Mike at that convention and he asked some very good questions, questions that I didn't have the answers to. And I'm sure glad he asked those questions because, folks, I did not know to ask them. But as soon as he asked them, I knew that I did not have all the coverages that I need. Think of all the coverages out there property general liability professional liability workers compensation employee practices liability folks there's even insurance for cyber liability and i have to tell you i did not know to ask about that one but mike did because this is what he does he serves the water treatment industry And he knows that there is a potential liability because of the remote access that we do with our controllers. Not only did he get me the right coverage with the right company, he was able to give me advice on making sure that we had proper policies in effect to make sure that we were protecting ourselves and our customers. A lot of insurers can only write through one insurance carrier. McGowan Insurance Group represents dozens of carriers like Donegal Insurance and when we go to Renew, I can't tell you how awesome it is that they are able to look at multiple suppliers to make sure that we're getting the best coverage, but we're also getting the best value. I know without a doubt, because McGowan Insurance Group understands the water treatment industry that we are getting that each and every time we renew with them. They do liability, benefits, bonds. They are a full service agency. Give the fine folks at McGowan Insurance Group a call today and tell them that Trace sent you or visit them on the web at mcgowaninsgr Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. My name is Trace Blackmore. I am the host of Scaling Up H2O. And folks, I am so Happy today. This is my absolute favorite type of show. I love all the shows that we do, but I have to tell you, I truly love the ones where you write into me or you leave me a voicemail and you say, How do I do this? What's going on with this issue? How do I get better as a water treater? And folks, I don't always have the answers. Sometimes I have to seek out other people in the water treatment industry when I have questions so the fact that you are doing that that tells me that you get it there's so many water treaters out there that think that they are supposed to know everything and I think that is the biggest downfall of this industry folks there is so much going on there is no way that you can know everything out there and if you understand that That's just a big weight that you get to take off of your shoulders. And I know you've heard me say dozens of times when you align yourself with other water treaters that you're able to bounce ideas off of, get help with issues that you don't understand and vice versa, that's where we make the industry better. That's where you make your programs better. That's where you make yourself better. And I think shows like this is exactly the demonstration of all of that that I just said. Now, if you haven't caught on yet, this is where we do questions from the audience. So I call these pinks and blues. This is where you write in or leave me a voicemail about questions that you have and I try to help you out here on the podcast. So we're gonna go straight into it. My first question, somebody writes in and they wanna know about wet analysis. So what this is, this is in the field, they saw somebody pick up a scale sample from a system, put it in a flask, put something in it, and then make a determination based on what happened within that flask. They thought that was pretty cool. They didn't know how to do it. And they wrote in and they said, hey, what is this wet analysis stuff? Can you tell me about it? And absolutely I can. Before I do, I do want to get into a few things. One, whenever you are in your test kit, remember you're working with some potentially nasty stuff. So always protect yourself, wear your PPE your personal protective equipment. You've got gloves, you've got glasses, anything else that you feel you need so you can keep yourself safe. You wanna create a barrier between the stuff you're using and your body. So with that being said, that's my public service announcement. I wanna talk about the wet analysis and I wanna talk about quantitative And qualitative. Because I think sometimes we think every test is just a test, every analysis is just an analysis, and it's not. And I know you've heard these terms out there before, quantitative and qualitative. Well, quantitative can be counted. It can be measured. So, these are things that are absolutely repeatable. And these are the lab results that we send off to know exactly what is in that scale sample. Now qualitative is exactly what we're gonna do here. This is descriptive, conceptual. These are things that are probably gonna be a little bit different each and every time that we do them but they give us some real quick data that allows us to make decisions in the field without having to send something off. A wet analysis is qualitative. So using this method, we can get quick in the field results. So now we can make a decision to get us by until we get the real lab results back of exactly what is in that scale sample. So in this particular situation, somebody pulled out a piece of scale in a boiler. They saw somebody do this wet analysis. The person, most likely that was their boss, that was their manager. And they made some sort of decision based on that. And then they sent off to get a laboratory result and found out that what the gentleman did in the field told them roughly what was in it, but the lab result confirmed what was in it, but told them the exact amount that was bound up in that scale. This person thought that was pretty cool and they want to know how to do it. So, Here is what you would do. So go ahead and grab yourself a small piece of that scale and you're then gonna place that into a flask. I like to use an Erlenmeyer flask, which is built for titrations. They swirl really easily. Whatever flask you wanna put it in, that is your choice. Then what you're gonna do is you're gonna add enough hydrochloric acid to cover the sample. Now, the titrant in your total alkalinity test kit should work fine. Give that a little bit to dissolve, but don't walk away from it. You want to watch it so you can see exactly what is going on because that is where you're going to get your information. So first off, let's look at the color. If a yellow or a yellowish red color develops, typically that will tell you that there's iron that's bound up in the sample. If a green color develops, well, that's telling you that there's copper that's bound up in the sample. Now, when you put that acid on it, if you notice that it starts to foam, then typically that's telling you that carbonates are present and that's normally bound with either calcium, with phosphate, with something. We don't know what that something is, but we're starting to get to know that carbonates are bound to it and that allows us to figure out, okay, what's, what's going on with this system? Was the softener down for a while? What do I know that I can now place together with this wet analysis to help me figure out what's going on right now with the system? Oh, one that I think I almost forgot is smell it. Now, now, folks, don't smell it by putting your nose directly over it. You know that you always waft an odor towards you. Remember, protect yourself first. But if you smell rotten eggs, that's normally an indicator that sulfides are present. So, how cool is that? All of that just simply by putting a little piece of scale into a flask and then putting your hydrochloric acid over it. So, that is a wet analysis. That's probably what the person did that you witnessed, and you're able to make some quick decisions so you can change something with a program or you're able to figure out why something is potentially failing. I alluded to a water softener when we found carbonates in the sample. Well, maybe we didn't know to look at the water softener. So now that we found all that foaming going on in that scale, we're gonna start looking at the softener logs and see what's going on. Maybe somebody news there and they don't know how to run the hardness test and we've had a hard water softener for quite some time. And this was the final indication that there was an issue. Now, my hope is if that was the case, you would then set up some safeguards so we don't have to scale up the system to find out that a test wasn't run properly, but we've got some intermediate indications Indicators to make sure that we hit so we don't have to scale up a system. So I'm trying to think of some other wet analysis that you can do. So let's say you suspect phosphate scale. So same thing, you're going to take a small amount of the scale. You're going to put that in your favorite titration flask And now you're gonna use nitric acid uh, to cover the sample, dissolve the sample. And again, you're going to watch the sample as you do this to try to get as much information as you can. So we can use the same indicators that we used before when we were using hydrochloric acid. But this time, once the sample is dissolved, we can now get our phosphate test out. And there's two that I think most people use, either the phosphor-3, which uh, the titrant turns blue, and then we can measure for that, or the molybdovanidate, which turns yellow. Well, folks, I don't know if you're really gonna measure this, but if you put either your phosphor-3 or your molybdovanidate in that sample, and it does turn either blue or yellow, depending on what reagent you're using, you've now just verified that you have phosphate bound up within that scale sample. Now, how cool is that? There are things that we can use that are already in our test kit that gives us more information right there on site that we can use to make decisions. Now, keep in mind, this does not negate that we should still send that sample in for a proper lab analysis. It just gives us a head start so we can start to fix the problem while we're waiting on that analysis. So I hope that helps. I hope that now instead of just watching somebody do a wet analysis, you're able to do that on your own and you're able to take some of that information to make decisions now while you're waiting on your lab results. Another member of the Scaling Up Nation writes in that they have seen someone log stack temperatures on a boiler, and they wanna know, is this something that they should start doing? They also go on to say, why do I need to worry about the fire side since I'm treating the water side? I don't know why, I wanna say that this question has come up before, but obviously it's still a question if somebody's recently asking it. And I think that's, that's a great statement that they made. And I'm so glad they made that statement instead of just asking the question, why does a water treater need to worry about the fire side when our job is clearly treating the water on the water side? So let's face it, you as the water treater are the biggest advocate for the boiler that the boiler is ever going to see. Now, I know somebody owns it, and I know somebody else is the maintenance contractor for it, but you as the water treater really are the voice of that boiler. The boiler cannot speak. The boiler cannot tell people what it needs But you, as the water treater, understand the boiler well enough where you're able to give it a voice and then use that voice to tell either the owner or the people that are contracted with tuning the boiler up what that boiler needs because, again, you understand it better than anybody else. So what are you looking at? First off, let's talk about efficiency So, and that's what this is all about. Why do we record stack temperature? And the answer to your question is yes, you need to start recording stack temperature for several reasons. Probably the biggest reason is this is the easiest way that you can prove that your program is working. You might be thinking, well, how is recording a stack temperature going to help me prove to the customer that what I'm doing on the water side is working? And I'm glad you asked that question because that's exactly what we are going to answer. So our job is a heat transfer efficiency manager. If you've listened to this show for any amount of time, you know that that is our job. You've heard me say that before. So where's the energy? We're creating the energy within the boiler. So we've got fire within the tubes. And I don't know why, but I've just chosen a fire tube boiler. So we'll run with that. Well, the whole point is we need to get the heat energy out of the tubes into the water so we can create steam. So, anything that creates insulation on either the outside or the inside of those pipes is going to not allow the most efficient transfer of that heat to happen from the fire into the water through the tube. So, if it is a scaling issue and we are now keeping the pipes as clean as possible, we can show that the stack temperature went from a hotter temperature to a a lesser hot Temperature, still hot, let's face it, showing that we're cleaning the tubes up. So, this is if we had a scaled system, maybe we took a system over, well, that scale is acting as insulation. As that insulation comes off the pipes, we are able to show that less heat is going up into the atmosphere. That means more heat is going into the water to create steam, which is exactly where we want it. Folks, if you keep a log of this, you can show that they are using more of the energy that they are paying for to go to the actual thing that they're paying for it to go to. So, the warmer the temperature gets, that's showing that we're insulating that heat inside the tube for whatever reason. Normally, it's either on the inside of the tube or the outside of the tube, But if we log it and we start seeing that going down, that means that more of that energy is going into the water to create steam. So, we just spoke about scale being on the outside. And as a water treater, we all think about scale. But here's the other thing that I want you to think about with this question. Take a look into the sight glass where the flame is. So, you're looking into it. If you see that flame and it's a yellow orangey color, folks, that is not a well-tuned flame. And what that means is the flame is putting off a lot of soot that's collecting on the inside of the pipes And I don't know if you knew this or not, but soot is so much more insulative than scale is. It's like a magnitude of 10. So, if we keep the interior pipes clean, we now have cleaner inside pipes to go to the water through that tube. And all you have to do is simply look at the flame and see what the color is. Now, if it's not supposed to be yellow, what color is it supposed to be? Well, it should be a bluish color. If you notice that it doesn't look this way, make a note of it on your service report and then tell the owner, tell the operator, tell the maintenance provider that that flame needs to be tuned up. What will happen is all that soot will need to be brushed out in order to get that tube clean again. So I know we're not charged with treating the fireside, but folks, we abdicate better for that boiler than anybody else. A lot of people don't understand what I just explained. I know you understand it, and that's why we need to take an active role with that. So thank you for asking that question. I think a lot of people have probably wondered that before. So Always pay attention to what your flame looks like and always document what your stack temperature is so that way you know what it means when it starts to change. So here's my next question. I treat a boiler that has a feed water tank, not a deaerator. We are constantly replacing the impellers due to oxygen corrosion. I do not understand why there's so much oxygen in the system since we run the feedwater temperatures to 210 degrees Fahrenheit. We also feed sulfite directly into the feedwater tank. We keep increasing the sulfite feed, but every inspection we find oxygen eating up the impellers. Should we change our oxygen scavenger, please help. Well, thank you for that question. And a whole bunch of things just rushed into my mind as I was reading that question. And uh, I don't know if that was an operator or a water treater. I don't think it matters. I'm going to answer it the exact same way. But with that, I'm going to assume that only sulfite is being fed into the feed water tank. Now, uh, as a bit of an aside, sulfite is really the only product that we should be feeding into the feed water tank. The condensate treatment should go into the steam header and then all the other boiler products should be fed directly into the boiler. Now I know those are the ideal locations and sometimes our job and the circumstances we have are not ideal, but that's where everything should be fed. And for this issue, for this question, I'm assuming that nothing else is being fed into the feed water tank except for the sulfite. And the reason I'm assuming that is because sometimes those more caustic products, we're feeding them in a concentrated form into the feed water tank and all that caustic, that extremely high pH will go through that yellow metal impeller and that itself can cause an issue. But I'm gonna assume that that's not taking place here. The other thing I'm gonna share with you, and I think this is important whenever we're doing any sort of troubleshooting is we use Occam's razor. Uh, For those of you that aren't familiar with that, that simply states that entities should not be multiplied without necessity. Okay, what the heck does that mean? That means that all things being equal, the simplest thing should apply. Another way I've heard that explained that if we hear hooves in the distance, we think horses, not zebras. So let's think simplicity here. And with that, the most simplistic thing I think is going on right now is I think your feed water temperature is too high. And I would be curious that if this is a problem that you've just started seeing since you've raised your feed water temperature, or if this is a problem that's always been there. So how long has your feed water temperature been that high and was it an issue when it was lower? So let's stick with that train of thought. And I'm gonna say, let's look at the pump is cavitating. Now, let me explain what I think is happening and why I say the word cavitation. I think what you've done in an effort to drive off oxygen, you've increased the feedwater temperature to 210 degrees. And folks, that is our number one way of getting oxygen out of the feedwater. We want to increase the water temperature. I'm going to come back to that in a second. But you're at 210 degrees, and we know that water at sea level boils at 212 degrees. So, I'm assuming you're at sea level. Now, I'm in Atlanta. We're at a thousand feet above sea level. That means that we're going to boil a little bit less than 212 degrees. So, I think you see where I'm going with that. So, let's say for this example that we are at sea level, um, and we'll talk about what happens when the water goes into the pump. So we've got 210 degree water getting sucked into a pump. And as that impeller spins around, it creates an area of low pressure. So sticking with this example, let's say that you are at sea level and you're gonna boil at 212 degrees. And you're thinking, okay, well, I'm at 210 degrees, so I've got two degrees, that's not an issue. Well, it might be because here's what's happening once that water is forced through the pump and that impeller is spinning around and around, well, as the water goes around with that impeller, there's a low pressure differential within that impeller than it is outside of that impeller. And I'm guessing that what is happening is that is enough lower pressure that you are boiling that water around the impeller and you're creating bubbles around the impeller. Now, once that higher pressure is reintroduced on the other side of the impeller, those bubbles that were quickly formed are now quickly destroyed, and they're exploding on the impeller. Well, they're imparting all this energy onto the impeller, and what it's doing is it's just exploding metal off of the impeller. And I think that is what you're seeing. I think exactly what you described is a great recipe for cavitation. And here's something that I want to point out. So hopefully, if you are a water treater that sent me in this question, you've got another system that is a deaerator. And I want you to pay attention to the deaerator And you'll notice that that is elevated above the pumps. The reason that the DA tank is always elevated higher than a feed water tank above the pumps is to create more pressure so what I just described doesn't happen. And it's not uncommon for people to look at impellers and say that it looks like oxygen pitting. The way I've always heard oxygen pitting described is it looks like somebody shot it with a shotgun. Well, that's pretty much what cavitation looks like. So it's very easy to get that confused, but here's what I want you to do. If this is the reason that you are seeing issues with the impeller, really easy to fix. Again, using Occam's razor, let's start with simplicity first and then we can work our way to more complex. So simply turn your feed water down, get it down to about 190, and see if that is still an issue. Now, still monitor your sulfite levels. Uh, It sounds like you might be even overfeeding your sulfite, trying to compensate, thinking that this is an oxygen problem and it's really uh, a cavitation problem. So monitor your sulfite levels. Don't overfeed it. Feed exactly what you need and see if that is still an issue. If it is still an issue, then maybe you do want to look at changing out some of your oxygen scavengers. But really hearing that question, not knowing all the facts, but just the ones that I do, I am really confident that that is going to solve your issue. Folks, again, it's important to make sure that the number one way that we control oxygen in a boiler is by increasing the temperature in either the feed water tank or that's why we have a DA tank. And the DA tank is under pressure. So we can actually get that temperature above boiling. So we get a bunch of oxygen out of the system, I think, where we have uh, less than seven parts per billion in the system feed water or the DA tank water. Of course, with a feed water tank, we cannot go that high because we don't have pressure on it. So when you understand that water treatment is a balance between understanding the mechanical, what we can do, raising the temperature, and then we polish that with our products to get better results. And then when you understand the systems that you are treating, you will be an unstoppable force. So whoever wrote this question, if you could please uh, write back in and let me know if this did solve the issue. I am extremely curious. Folks, I love questions like this. So thank you so much for writing these questions in. Whenever you have a question that we can share on the air. I know for a fact, other people have questions like that. I know we can all learn from those questions. So you might be wondering, how did these people get their questions to me? Well, every single one of these people, they went on our website, scalinguph2o.com and they looked for our show ideas tab on the menu page. They clicked on it, they filled out the form and presto, it went right to me and I read it on the air. However, there's also another way you can take advantage of. Maybe you want to hear your voice on the air. So as soon as you go to scalinguph2o.com, On the right-hand side, you'll see a tab, and if you click on that, you will be able to use your computer microphone, your phone microphone, and you can record your question straight to me. I know you've heard me do that on the show. Thanks again for those questions. Please keep them coming, because again... This is my favorite type of show because I think it connects us all with we are in the same community. And when we understand what we do better, not only do we get better as individuals, we get better as an industry. Something that we are doing to help the industry get better is we are hosting another hang, just like the one we did at the Association of Water Technologies virtual conference this year. Well, this one is going to be December 10th at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Now, you might be saying, what the heck is a hang? And that's a great question. The hang is where we all get together Using Zoom, I know everybody loves Zoom. I know we're all probably done with Zoom, but that is how we're getting by in this particular time. And folks, I promise I'm not gonna make it like a boring Zoom call that you are used to. We're all going to come into a main room where we can see everybody. I'm going to try to have a couple of questions for you, try to entertain you as best I could. And then quickly, I'm going to get you into your own separate breakout session with five other people five other people that's very manageable. I want you to introduce yourself and you never know who you might meet. You might meet somebody that can answer that question that you have with that particular system. Or maybe you're looking for a particular product and you don't know where to go to get that source. Well, folks, this will increase your network. This will increase the people that you call friends in the water treatment community All you have to do to be a part of this is right now or as soon as you're able to pull over, nobody do this while they're driving, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang and register for the event. And then at 6 p.m. Eastern time, December 10th, log on, you will see me and hopefully a lot of your friends and friends you have not met yet. And we'll go ahead and have a great time. And we're planning on doing this throughout 2021. So folks, if you will, mark your calendars for December 10th at 6 p.m. Folks, again, I love shows like this. So thank you for all of those people that wrote in your questions. Thank you for listening to Scaling Up. Thank you for helping me promote the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And folks i will bring you another brand new episode next friday have a great week folks scaling up nation there's a new standard out there that you may or may not have heard of called asse 12080 if you haven't heard of it asse 12080 is a new professional qualification standard for people providing water management plans or Legionella related services. Now that you've heard about it, what are you going to do about it? Here's what I did I signed up for HC Info's online digital platform to get the required 24 hours of training so I could take the certification exam. There are other training courses out there, but they all require you to take time out of your busy schedule to attend a week-long video conference style class. I did not have a week to give up during my prime business hours. Using HC Info's easy to use platform, I can take classes on my schedule, which for me is at night. Some nights I take several classes, some nights I don't take any classes. The point is, I can fit it in when I'm able to. The content is straightforward and teaches you what you need to know to become a certified professional. Don't wait until your customers ask you if you are certified. Get it done now. Trust me, once your customers find out about this standard, they are going to demand the people they work with are certified. HC Info already offers the most economical solution to training. As a Scaling Up H2O listener, you can take an additional 7% off by using the discount code SCALINGUP5. Already an HC Info LAMPS member, you'll receive an even bigger discount. Take it from me and use the easiest, most schedule-friendly and economical way to get your ASSE 12,080 training today by going to ScalingUpH2O.com forward slash HCINFO. That's ScalingUpH2O.com forward slash HCINFO.